This is Stigma, where we talk with leaders from many industries about how mental health and addiction have impacted their lives. Many people suffer silently from mental illness, addiction, depression, anxiety, and trauma. They never seek help because of stigma. In this podcast, host Stephen Hayes and his guests share their stories of recovery in order to encourage others to do the same. Here's Stephen. Welcome back to the Stigma Podcast. Today, I'm with my friend, Alex Wilhelm. Alex is the, well, was the editor-in-chief at Crunchbase News, and he's the co-host of the Equity Podcast at TechCrunch, which is probably one of my favorite podcasts. And and he's been covering the tech world as a journalist for for many years. He's got experience uh, as an entrepreneur. Um, He's had experience on the investing side. And I met Alex randomly at a TechCrunch disrupt years ago when uh, I think there was a tweet that went out before the disrupt that said there will be free hugs at the recording of the Equity podcast. So I I took you up on that and we connected and, and I started chatting about video games and have just been kind of in touch ever since. And what's really relevant today here is that somewhere along the way, we had a text or a DM exchange back when I was in my addictions and I was, I was maybe trying to meet with you or I was maybe I was trying to set up a a meeting or something. And I kept saying, let's get drinks. Let's hang out. And you told me, well, I don't drink anymore. And that kind of struck me. And then years later, when I got to a place where I needed help, that was one of the memories in the back of my mind that, Hey, this guy that I look up to and respected told me that he gave up alcohol. Hmm. Maybe this is something I should be doing too. And you know, when I asked Alex, when I asked you to share your story, uh, you, you agreed to do it. And yeah, that's that's why I, I have Alex on today. I'm really excited about this conversation, uh, the impact he had on me when he uh, shared that shared that he's just not drinking anymore. Uh, it, it didn't impact me that day, but years later, when I needed help, man, that had a huge impact on on me. And I just wanted to say thank you for that, and thank you for coming on and, and being willing to share your story. Well, I, that's all very very kind. I think we should point out though that the reason why uh, I sent out the tweet saying "Come get a free hug" and the reason why you got one is because I think you were the only taker. So it wasn't like the groupies <laughs> were banging down the door demanding our attention. Um, equity for people out there who aren't kind of lost in the venture capital world is a very niche show. It's designed for a, an audience of insiders and so forth. So it's not a not a mass market show like the daily from the times or whatever. So the fact that anyone wanted to hang out with us, I was pretty uh, chuffed with that day. So thank you. And uh, I, I hope we talk a bit more later on about being public about this stuff because uh, I, I'm trying to be intentionally public and uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, but this is not my show. So I'm going to shut up and let you uh, guide us through. <laughs> we will definitely talk about that. And and that's really the premise of the show here is just to get people talking. I, I feel strongly that if we share our stories, other people are encouraged to do the same. And if there's enough stories out there, enough people hear those stories and eventually feel okay seeking help. And you know, I heard your story and I heard a few other stories over the years. And when I got to a point where I really needed it, those stories gave me probably the courage and the strength to get over that that fear of of, of giving up a lifestyle that was that was killing me. So I, it's sharing the stories is really important. Yeah, that's that's why I wanted to come on because it's kind of one more place where I can talk about it. And um, it, it, as you know, this is something that's much easier to talk about with someone who who's been there. It's kind of hard to explain to people who haven't. Um, but I think, uh, and I hope that this show does help people like yourself back in the day who um, can put it back in their head somewhere and and have that as a a lever or a tool or a backstop to go, oh, you know, I know people are working on this. I know they've um, 
you know, for you and I, at least up until today, have pulled it off. Um, you know, right. But let's let's give it up tomorrow as well, but not look too far ahead. But I mean, people have found ways out of that particular abyss, and I think it's our it's our duty to put you know reach back down and, and pull up. So, yeah, uh, feeling good, man. I, I'm I'm three and a half years in. I think you're 15 months, give or take now. Months, yeah, yeah, 15 months. I mean, I'm, so, I'm just like I, I can't tell you how much joy that brings me. That that means you've had 15 months of feeling good. 15 months of taking care of yourself. Actually, let me tell you a story. So this mo- I'm moving to Providence, Rhode Island uh, from San Francisco. And I went to the doctor today because I had to get a new, um, what, what do you call them? Primary care practitioner, primary care physician, yeah. PCP, which is a hilarious acronym. And I used to hate going to the doctor because my blood pressure would always be you know, super scary because you can't go to the uh, doctor drunk. So you have to go sober. So then your, your body's freaking out because if you're an alcoholic, you know, withdrawal is a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I would always go and they'd take my blood pressure and it'd be like, you know, a bajillion over a bajillion. And they'd be like, hmm, how old are you? And I'd be like, 25. And uh, I would get these, these stern lectures, you know, about like, you know, consumption and how my body is falling apart. And then today, you know, at 30, I went in and my pulse was fine. My blood pressure was normal and the doctor just had absolutely nothing to complain about. So, you know, small wins like that to me help. Those are big wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they're for, for everyone else, they're normal. Uh, for you and I, they're yeah, huge. Right, right. But I, yeah, that was a smile. So my, my, uh, my bit, my moment like that was, and this is super personal. I'm just going to share it. I, when I went into rehab on day one, you know, they, they take blood and you take urine, they take all these tests and, mm-hmm. and then like day two or three, the doctor calls you in and, and she looks at me and she goes, so I'm going to give you the results of all of your testing. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, 38, 38 years of intentionally destroying myself. This should be fascinating. She goes, yeah, you know, a couple liver enzymes and a, you know, a few odds and ends that will, she's like, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. And I was like, what? Yeah. Seriously. Yep. That was honestly the first time I felt good because I was like, I can recover from this. Yeah. So I, I, similar, similar to me. So, I mean, uh, I guess diving into the the personal histories a bit, but in the middle of 2016, I, uh, I went to the ER, uh, my sister picked me up from where I was house sitting because my body kind of stopped working. And this was the beginning of my recovery essentially. And, you know, I went to the ER, got pumped full of saline, given, um, a bunch of Ativan, which is uh, some sort of drug. I got it intravenously, which was fantastic. I slept like a child, got discharged. And then I went back to the ER that night because my body wasn't going wasn't handling withdrawal well. Anyways, got admitted to the hospital, the whole thing. And uh, they did the same thing to me. They said, you know, what is, you know, here, here are your labs, here are your stats. So they took my blood and all that. And I was pretty much okay. Like I, I've bounced back entirely. And I, I, I think the point here for everyone else is if you are considering stopping and you're worried that you've done too much damage and there's no hope, there's probably a lot of physical hope out there. Your body is surprisingly resilient. It's surprisingly tough, even if you feel like trash giving it a break, we'll let it heal. And so, I mean, I didn't get as far as you did, Stephen, but, uh, you know, I did, I did a lot of work, uh, in my 26 years. So <laughs> I'm just happy we're both going to be okay. What made you decide to stop or did you, did, did, did it cross your mind to stop before you did? And then you got to that moment in the emergency room. So you did, or were you, did you never consider stopping? And then when you hit that emergency room moment, you were like, oh my gosh, I better do something. Oh gosh, no, no, no! I, I tried a bunch of times. Uh, I wish, I wish it was like one day out of the blue. Oh, this isn't working, and then I stop. But I, I'm nowhere near that smart. I'm far stubborner. I had to go through a bunch of catastrophes. Like, um, I mean, I, I mean, this is a, an open show, so here are some stories. Like, I, I cheated on a partner in the middle of a bender and had to like deal with the comical aftermath of that. <laughs> 
probably the lowest I've ever felt in my life was calling her the next day. She was on a business trip. Um, and then that's when I got into AA cause that was my kind of commitment to her to try to keep the relationship alive. You know, I started going to AA, stayed off the booze for, you know, a week, whatever it was. And then she, she dropped by my house one time while I was, sh- you know, can we swear on this show? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I was just shit canned. And, uh, you know, she, I, I ended up like sitting on the floor, holding onto her leg, crying, feeling, you know, just super low. And then I, <laughs> I got her an Uber all the way back to Oakland. Um, and that was the end of that relationship. So AA in and out, um, I, I'm lucky to have uh, people in my life who are also sober, who were there ahead of me and therefore could uh, start to extend a hand down. But it, it took me a while. I used to go to AA, you know, pat myself on the back and then I'd hit up the corner store on the way home, the little bodega near my house that Pete runs and uh, get you know, another pint of Jim Beam and then go home and, you know, good job. You went to AA. Now you get a whole pint. Um, <laughs> and then I would just drink that and I wake up and uh, start the day again. So it, it was a long, terrible process. I, I realized it was getting worse when I would joke to my friends that I was an alcoholic and they stopped correcting me. And I was like, oh. Like they're just, they're, they're, their response to that was what? Just like, yeah, dude, you are. It, no, it became silence. Like when we were like 23, it was like, oh, I'm such an alcoholic. And everyone's like, hee, 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 you're just partying still. It's like you're in college. And then, you know, everyone else ages out of it and I'm drinking more and more. So I'm like, ha ha, I'm an alcoholic. And then there's this awkward silence around the table. So that was a sign. That increasing, I mean, what do they say in AA? Like increasing consequences. You know, one morning I woke up uh, puking into this woman's bushes outside of her house. And then I had to take an Uber. Then I had to take a flight. And then I had dinner with the CEO of Microsoft. So like weird shit, you know, like uh, <laughs> stuff that just wasn't going well. My, my life was a mess. And, uh, but even then, even given all of that, even given drinking in the morning, even given puking bile every morning, even getting through another relationship that collapsed and, and just getting fat and being sweaty and miserable and withdrawal and saving no money, even given all of that, I couldn't give it up until I woke up one morning on a Monday and my body just felt different. Not good, not good, different, bad, different. I, I couldn't like get out of bed. And that's when my sister drove up from Sunnyvale to San Francisco. And uh, she's a doctor. She's a nephrologist. So kidneys. And uh, she took me to the ER and said, hi, this is my brother. He's here for medically assisted alcohol detox. As I gently fall apart, standing next to her in this emergency room, just, ah! and uh, that was the first ER. And then I went back that night and then hospital uh, for a day, I think. I think it was just a day after the ERs. And then uh, 12 days of outpatient rehab at uh, the Chemical Dependency Recovery Program, CDRP, as part of Kaiser down uh, in Cupertino, it's the one right across from Apple's new campus. So, uh, and then I went back to work, man. And uh, that was, you know, the beginning of June of uh, 2016. Yeah. How did you catch a hold of, uh, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but how did you go from, I could do a couple days or go to an AA meeting and then I would drink that night to, you know, you had a couple weeks of help and then you maintain long-term sobriety. What, how did you make the transition? Like what changed in your mind to keep you from, from going back? So you ever watch those, like uh, those movies and when, you know, someone gets, someone's too drunk all the time. And so they have to get sober and they find Jesus. And it's always someone who's really hot and like, they never, they never look like shit, even though, I mean, as you and I know, the more you drink, the less good you look. Just facts. Um, but one thing that always happens is they go to like rehab. Bradley Cooper looked amazing. Yeah. Hammered. Yeah, I, I, I didn't Lady watch Gaga. that movie. I couldn't. Oh, it's so it, it's good. It, it might be hard to watch because it, it brings up a lot, but it's, it's yeah. good. 
Maybe. I mean, I, I, uh, my wife, Liza, she really liked it. Um, and she offered to watch with me and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, gonna pass on that. But, uh, to your question about what changed these people in these movies always go to rehab and they have some sort of, you know, like there's always a romance and there's always this like drama and there's always the mean counselor. Rehab is not like that. It just isn't. <laughs> like, so I, I went to this like rehab that looked like it was in some sort of like old middle school and you sit in a circle and nothing happens. You just talk a little bit. Mostly you listen and sit. And I, I figured out what rehab is. Rehab is just a break right? in your life. Like if you if you end up in rehab, and you know, the joke is you never end up in rehab on a winning streak. You're gonna, <laughs> right. you're gonna have some stuff going on that you're going to put on pause unless you keep using and that's different. But like if, you, if you do stop when you're in rehab and you're on some anti-withdrawal meds, whatever you need, um, you just sit there and you get a glimpse of what life is like outside of your day-to-day patterns because addiction is hugely pattern-based, you know, and physical addiction is, it puts you into this really weird 24-hour cycle of use that you can't quite get out of without tons of physical pain. So rehab is a break and uh, I was crushed, man. I mean, just just ego-destroying levels of, uh, of being crushed because, you know, I mean, I don't know how to say this. I, I'm... I'm hmm. Uh, I'm really fucking smart and I read a lot and I work really hard. And those are things that I hold dear and things that I try to work on and losing to the same shit that sponsors every single NFL halftime show. It makes me feel bad. Right. But at the same time I did lose, there was this utter shellacking of my life, you know? So I didn't want to go back because rehab is boring and I didn't want to feel like shit anymore because I was tired of that. And I didn't want to keep apologizing to people. I didn't want to keep being a fuck up. I didn't want to keep barely holding my life together. And um, so I got I got out of rehab on a Sunday. I graduated from this outpatient program I was in. I, got, I still have the certificate. It's like Alex Wilhelm, CDRP, level one, phase one, whatever. I was like, yay. And I... Uh, I caught Caltrain up to the city and I, I moved back into my apartment and um, I started taking walks. I just had so much energy because I was eating food for the first time in, you know, a couple of years. Right. And uh, I was, I had, I had a lot to burn off too. Uh, I had a little extra around me. So I just started going on long walks and calling my family. I, just, I would call my mom. I would call my sister, Emily, and I would just, just cruise around the city on foot trying to stay out of trouble. And uh, slowly I, I started to build a life. You know, I started to work out a little more, got back into reading, got some different friends, eventually bought a PS4, got a new job, you know, just, just began to fit color in the edges to fill in the, uh, the blank space. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I haven't had a drink since. And, uh, I, I try to do all the things people recommend, you know, I buy non-alcohol based mouthwash, just one more thing off the list, you know, right. I try to not eat food that's cooked with alcohol if I can possibly avoid it. And, you know, 99% of the time I can. So I, I, I try to keep it pretty legit. You know, I drank, I did drink some 0% beer uh, at the start, but I discovered it tastes like ass and it's not worth the calories. So I gave that up. But it, so it's a lot of things, you know, it's, it's the combination of boredom, rehab, losing, having to call my parents on day three of rehab and tell them I was in rehab. I mean, just like, I don't want to do that again. And uh, eventually I've become accustomed to feeling good, you know? And uh, that's that's keeping me here today. Feeling good. What other positive impacts have you seen on your life? I mean, what you know, I, I would imagine there's been a lot of impact on social relationships, business. There's probably also been some some stressful impacts on your life. I know for me, sometimes it's 
I get a little uncomfortable heading into a, a, a tech event or a conference or something, knowing that I, I have to, you know, I might be put in a position multiple times where I have to explain why I'm not drinking at the thing that I'm at. So positive, negative impacts on your life from quitting? I mean, where, where to begin? <laughs> in every possible way, my life is better. Um, going backwards, I guess, in order. So about sharing with people, I, I don't care that I'm an alcoholic. I don't, I don't think it's a moral condemnation of me. I think it's, uh, I'm an addict. And I think uh, our nation is moving and our society and culture is moving closer to having this be a, uh, something that we can talk about and treat like a medical condition. And I think that's uh, a, a very positive thing. So when people... Um, like I go to a lot of dinners, like I'm sure, I'm sure you do. And like, you know, you sit down and there's like three wine glasses in front of me for three different courses. And, uh, I learned tricks like flipping over one of them. Waiters know that's a sign to not bring me alcohol. Cause I I'm telling them quietly, no, but sometimes that doesn't work. And they bring you wine. You have to say, no, thank you. I don't drink. And then sometimes people will ask and I just tell them, Oh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and then I, I do that because one, fuck you, leave me alone. And two, their face right. is always so funny. Because they don't know what to do. And I'm always like, well, maybe you should have left right. me the fuck alone then. Why are you digging into my life, person I've known for three minutes? Right. But uh, yeah, yeah that, that's all good. But the, the positive stuff, man. I mean, I got married in June. It's uh, We're recording this um, kind of late November, I guess. So I've been married now for four, almost five months. And uh, I married the person I fell in love with in college. And we had not not spoken for four, four or five years uh, on purpose, like you know, we had broken up and had moved on, and I never entirely got gotten over her um, because she's tremendous. But she came uh, back into my life out of the blue and by luck, you know, five months out of rehab, give or take. And uh, if I was still drinking, I wouldn't have gotten her, and I wouldn't have been able to uh, hmm. get back in touch, and then fall back in love, and then get engaged to, and then get married to Liza, and she's everything to me. So I could tell you small things like I'm not sweaty all the time, <laughs> you know, and I don't only go to brunch at places that serve hard alcohol and I don't have to hide uh, empty bottles of Jim Beam where my previously, the person I was dating before Liza, cause she was short where she couldn't see them and just all the small things, all the medium sized things, all the big things. And then the biggest for me is, uh, is my wife. So it's, it's a holistic change. Uh, does that, does that answer the question, Stephen? Is that? Wow. That's incredible, man. That, I mean, that's really incredible. I mean, you, like you, you were going to miss out on these blessings if you had continued down this path of destroying yourself. That, that's oh my god, every single one of them. I would have only had whiskey, hmm. you know. And as tempting as it sounds to to occasionally, I, I don't, I don't get a lot of huge cravings. But sometimes I'm like, oh, it is Friday at five. You know, it would be nice. I just kind of look around and I'm like, hmm, how much do I want to risk for that? And the answer is, well. Not much. And then I'm like, well, that's out of the question then because drinking for me would be uh, a gamble on my entire existence. And uh, I'm too lucky and I'm too fortunate and I'm too hashtag blessed to try to even consider throwing away a percent of it uh, just so I can feel worse and be fatter. <laughs> How have you maintained it? I mean, what what support systems do you lean on? Do you do you go to AA meetings? Do you have a support group? Do you go to a therapist? What are the tools that you you leverage? Uh, it's changed. It's been, it's changed the route. So I want to be super clear about all my forthcoming answers that I am not opposed to anyone's method of recovery. I think that whatever you find that works for you is great. And I have a lot of friends who are, I'll use the phrase hardcore AAers, uh, you know, guys who have, you know, 17, 20 years of sobriety. They go to AA meetings five times a week. I love those people. 
I have friends who go who have never been to AA and have found other ways to maintain their sobriety. And I, I just want to say that, you know, whatever works for you is great. For me, uh, my rehab was 12 step based. And so I was uh, I'd already had a big book by then and I'd already read it. And so I was already aware of of the AA stuff. But I leaned on that at the beginning very heavily. You know, we went to AA every day in rehab and then I uh, I went I don't think I actually pulled off a 90 and 90, but it was damn close. I went to a, a bajillion meetings uh, when I was fresh out of rehab. My boss knew why I left for two weeks. So she was not concerned that I was gone during the lunch hour. I went to a great meeting um, in San Francisco on California street. It's a, it's a men's meeting PAX East, I think um, maybe PAX West, one of the two uh, that faded over time. I, I filled it in with um, exercise and uh, meditation, both guided and Zen and um an improved diet and a, and a social calendar full of people who are either sober or who are very fine respecting my sobriety. So over, so a lot of crutches to begin with a lot of really good support. And then over time, more of a, uh, more like a lifestyle system. Like my life is good. We don't keep alcohol in the house. I'm married to someone who doesn't really drink because she doesn't see the appeal of it. which <laughs> Blows my mind. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's, but you add, man, I think the scariest thing when you have to quit drinking is what are you going to do with your life? Because your life has become about drinking. So you have to rebuild yourself. But I found that once I had gotten a pretty far away through that process, my life had some momentum of its own and the good habits built on themselves. And uh, that's, that's how I've kind of kept myself put together. Yeah. The reason I ask is because for me, I, uh, my rehab was 12 step based and when I got home, I had struggled with the whole higher power concept. Yeah. When I got home from rehab, I spent two months laying in bed. I didn't leave the house. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I went to one AA meeting when I got home, right off the plane, right to AA. And I sat in that room and I was like, dude, I just can't, I can't do this. I can't handle this whole higher power thing. And I just didn't show up for two months and I'd replaced life with sleeping. Uh, and it, it took me a while to get to get out of the house and start going to these meetings and and start embracing um, the real world and all my problems with my new coping mechanisms, which were basically no coping mechanisms other than having some boundaries and being like a normal you know functioning adult. Hell yeah, <laughs> which is cool. I mean, yeah, but AA is great for that because. One of the, you know, I, I mean, like, again, I struggle with the higher, I'm, an, I'm not just an atheist, I'm an anti-theist. So like, even though I go to church a lot because my wife's Christian, like, it's not my jam. But the thing about AA, even for people like me who are super far away from the religiously focused AA people, AA is a place where I, you are welcome. Who are you? Doesn't matter. You're welcome. Want right. to stop drinking? Show up. There's usually some bad cookies. There's often some very bad coffee. Um, you can probably bum a cigarette out front and someone will give you a hug. Yeah. And you know what? No matter what else you say about AA, those are things that are brilliant and good and and will help you if you can't get out of bed or you don't know anyone who's sober or you're afraid of telling people you're struggling. AA does not care. If, you're, if your pants are on backwards, they don't care. They right. just want you to show up. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. It's really yeah. amazing, man. Like I, for me personally, I ended up going back to church and kind of refinding. I, I, I grew up in a in a Christian family, and I, I kind of I found my faith again. And Good. man, it was really revolutionary for me, and that allowed me to get back in the AA room. But I, but I, I agree with the thing you said earlier, and I see uh, some of my friends in recovery saying this that it doesn't matter what your recovery looks like. It doesn't matter what program you buy into or how you do it, or if you buy into no program, if you can do what's best for you 
good for you, man. And I, I, one of the things that does rub me a little wrong in the AA community sometimes is, is the, is the book thumping sort of, Mm. you have to do it exactly the way it says it on page 21. And (laughs) And by the way, you're not, you're not an alcoholic if page 21 is not what describes you. And to me, that my reaction to that was like, dude, I can't even, I can't even stop eating my kids' fruit snacks. I'm that bad of an addict. Like I literally cannot stop doing anything that makes me feel good. I am that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the, uh, the alcoholic pissing contest. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you stopped drinking at 19. You couldn't really be an alcoholic. I mean, BS. Yeah. Like, right. like you should have seen the guys I was hanging out with in rehab. Like you can, you can do a <laughs> lot of damage by the time you're any age. And uh, it's always the right time to quit. Quitting season is 365 days of the year. So somebody wants to quit right now. They're listening to this and this is the thing that puts them over the edge. I'm quitting. Yeah. Where, where do they, what is their first step? What's their first action they need to take to, to get help right now? Uh, well, one, if this is you, an enormous hug from me. Uh, I can't give you a physical hug, but imagine that I am because I'm so proud of you for taking this moment to invest in yourself. Two, whatever it is you're doing, give yourself a 30-day break. You don't have to make a lifelong commitment right now. You don't have to say that you are 100% sure of what's going on, but you should take 30 days off. Here's why. If you, if, let's just say you're an alcoholic. I think most people listening to the show are. If you can't stop boozing for 30 days, data point. If you can stop boozing for 30 days, data point. It just will give you some information about where you are. Now, what I would recommend is if there's someone in your life who you know has stopped doing any sort of substance – Reach out to them. They will want to talk to you. They will want to help. Another thing you can do is begin to look into general information about recovery from your substance of choice. Um, You can do smart things like empty out your apartment of whatever the thing is you're going to give up. And then you can do some self-care loving things like go buy treats. Whatever it is that you like to eat, go buy some of it. Unless you're having a food addiction. But if you're not in that category, get treats. I ate, I think, all the ice cream in North America. When I was just <laughs> off drinking and I put off losing weight because it didn't matter to quote one of my friends from AA, no one ever got arrested for fat driving. So fuck it. Just go eat. So get the stuff out of your house, make a commitment to yourself, reach out to someone who you, you might know who's gone through similar things and then begin to set yourself up for success. You know, if you do want to go to AA, I mean, for example, in San Francisco, it's sfaa.org. Uh, if you're elsewhere in the world, just Google your town name and AA. There's going to be a bajillion meetings. Pop by one. Just swing by and, and sit. That's enough of a step for today. But as long as you don't use today and you invest in yourself and you set a goal, you'll have made the first material steps to getting this shitty elephant off your back because you're worth it. And you have all this to offer to the world. And there's so much joy to have. You don't have to sit at home in the dark and stare at a wall and be fucked up all the time. Because I did that. It sucked. I did it. I spent two months, man. Didn't leave the house until some guy called me up one day. Friend of a friend called me and said, hey, man, I want to meet with you. And I was like, I mean, the only people that want to meet with me probably want to kill me. Uh-oh. So I don't know about this. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to get off that couch. I mean, even I had two months of psychoeducation and rehab under my belt. I mean, I had all those people I met in rehab patting me on the back, telling me how amazing I was for be, even being there. And even after all that encouragement, I came home and couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. I mean, it's this is a brutal disease, man. Oh. And, and, and I like what you said earlier about where we're getting as a society where we can talk about it as a disease, because it, I, I believe that it is a disease. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good. Oh, crap. Is the word heuristic? It's a good way to think about it. It's a good way to understand it. Uh, because a disease isn't something you need to be ashamed of. 
a disease isn't something that uh, you have to hate yourself for. One thing that the AA uh, book thumpers, to use a phrase that uh, you used earlier, they tend to only view addiction through the lens of perhaps selfishness or something along those lines. And I character defect, character defects. Now, when you're quitting something, it is a great moment to work on yourself. It is a great moment to make amends. It is a great moment to turn over a new leaf and try to build new healthy patterns. There's a lot of stuff that I did when I was drinking that I'm ashamed of, and I tried to make amends for it. And I'm trying to ameliorate that by, by being helpful as I can. But I don't think that being an addict itself is, uh, is a condemnation of my character or my inherent worth as a human. And I think we, we kind of conflate the two at times. So when you say disease, I say, yeah. I think, I think that matches my current understanding of, of my brain. And that's why, you know, I just, whenever someone does reach out, and this happens somewhat often, um, and they say, hey, 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 you know, not doing so good. I'm like, that sounded like Fat Albert when you did. That. I, I didn't even mean to go up that high. I don't sing, so like that's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you're. I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I don't view someone who wants to get healthy as someone uh, who I, I I will look down on. I look at them as someone who I can uh, support and bolster, and I just respect them so much. Just like with yourself, man. When you told me you were going to rehab, I think I said yay or something like that. I think I was excited. Yeah. 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 I knew you were very encouraging and I appreciated it. Cause it, I, but it, it's good for you. It's like going to summer camp if you're an athlete, it's just for addicts and the yeah. food's worse, you know, like, and then you, you randomly send me these DMS or, or I send one to you. Hey, how's it going? And it's just like these awesome little check-ins. I mean, having, having a life full of people that care about your wellness oh, yeah. is incredible, man. Like I, I didn't understand what that life was until I kicked these addictions. I, I, I just to say it again, because I had the moment. So proud of you. So happy for you. You had a lot to get through. You had a lot of, uh, <laughs> it sounds, sounds dumb. You had a lot of recovery to get on, you know? And, yeah, and, right on, and uh, yeah. I've always liked you, but now I can, I can cherish you even more because I, whenever we talk, I know I'm getting a hundred percent of you. I'm not getting mm. a fraction of it. I'm not getting a distorted view of you. I'm getting exactly who you are. And that's just lovely because I think you're a delightful human. And so it's, it's, uh, that's very sweet of you. No. Something you said earlier about being helpful. You also mentioned something about self care and you did write this beautiful blog post back in April about how taking care of others is self care. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I, I think self care is really important. I think a lot of people who hear that term think, well, what does that mean? Is that, do I go to the spa? Do I like do my nails? Or, I mean, like what, what do I do to self care? And, and, and you, this is really incredible how you, you wrote this concept of like, I help others and that is my self care. Yeah. Like, could you, maybe elaborate on, on that thought a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I just kind of pointed out that a lot of people in AA think that addicts are selfish and addicts uh, are, it, it's most addicts are selfish. And so when you end up outside of that box, uh, you can begin to invest in other people and um, you can begin to be the opposite of what you used to be. You used to be a bit of a burden. I was at least, I think, I think you were too. Most of us had. That was a huge burden. Yeah. I, was, I was trying to be polite to both of us, but we were like rocks on everyone else's backs. Um, and so there comes this weird moment when you flip it around. All of a sudden, if you if you manage to to quit uh, whatever thing or things you've been doing, and you kind of get back to something approaching equilibrium and maybe even on the upward slope towards uh, towards happiness or contentment, um, you all of a sudden have the spare capacity. You can do more stuff, and that's when you can 
begin to invest in other people. I mean, so keeping names out of it, I met a guy a couple of years ago who was going through a you know a huge problem in his marriage, drinking too much, you know, fiascos. And uh, we were never super close, but he wanted to talk about us. We sat down, had, I bought him breakfast, I think. And um, we just talked through, you know, what was going on with my life. I was about a year sober then, give or take. I saw him on Twitter a little bit ago. He was like, hey, man, he was talking about how he was two years off drinking. And I was just like, dude, that's the best thing I've ever heard. And he was like, you know, you thank you for taking me out and talking me into how to take care of myself. And not to say that I'm particularly good. I'm not. But I just have this, I have enough spare capacity now because I'm mentally present that I get to help other people. And to kind of bring this back to your point about self-care as, uh, or to taking care of others as self-care, nothing makes me feel more calm and and okay than helping other people. And so, yeah, ice cream is great. And I can do 50 pushups now without stopping. And I'm really proud of myself for that. It's been a lot of work. But like those things don't really help me sleep. Those things don't really help me stay on the wagon, I guess. But the ability to to help others is for some reason in, inside of my human bones, the thing that that's that's been most important, I think, as I sit here today with my perspective, as it is, this may change as I get older and more mature. I think that's the thing that's been most important to me and, and most impactful and uh, the most rewarding. So I, I'm hoping that I keep having the, uh, I don't know, the courage to kind of keep keep myself out there, be an open net, let people reach out and uh, and help them as I can. And if, if I die and it said, you know, on my tombstone, Alex tried really hard to be a help, I'll, I'll take that. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I think being on this, having this conversation publicly is also a huge help to people. And one of the things you mentioned early, I think we can kind of wrap it up with this topic is around this concept of stigma and around this concept of how we view these problems in society and, and, and why sharing and putting our stories out there is important. And, you know, I'm of the belief that stigma is and I'm building like a venture capital thesis yeah. and and the cornerstone of my thesis has, has this thing that is a little bit hokey. I, I say that stigma is the biggest problem, that it keeps the most people from getting help because I think the solution is vulnerability and openness yes. and connectivity. And so my question to you is how do we fight stigma? I mean, we can share, but what else, what else do we need to be doing? I think we need to be ruthlessly honest about what addiction is and be very clear about who we are because I think it's I think people have a wrong view of who is an addict that, that or who might become one when in reality addiction as as I'm sure you know from rehab does not know class it doesn't know creed it doesn't know ethnicity national background nothing addiction is everywhere and uh, anyone can get whacked by it and anyone can fall apart by it and so I think if we just point out that this is a human thing and we, and we demand that point and we refuse to back down on it. This is something that humans deal with. Uh, then we can, we can begin to tear away the, uh, the cruft from around it that has been built up by addicts and non-addicts alike and, and treat it for what it is. And then we can really have a better conversation about it. I'm really, I'm really happy to see, uh, for example, that we're beginning to treat opioid addiction and heroin addiction uh, like a medical condition because the old methods of policing that didn't work. I'm incredibly disappointed that it took until this became a, a problem among white Americans that we began to treat it that way, whereas before we treated drug addiction as uh, something that we could use to put more black people in jail. That's right. A national disgrace, the war on drugs being a racist enterprise put forth by 
evil people and propagated by a police force that's overly militarized. But at a minimum now, for whatever reason, we are making progress, at least there. And I, I hope things like that can can build up. But it's going to take the old timers in the AA meetings changing up their views a little bit. And it's going to take the public changing up their views a little bit too. But I, I think that the whole societal change towards talking more about mental health is the catalyst that's going to drive the change that I, I think you and I are hoping for. And I, I think your investment thesis is actually tied to. Um, 100% tied to it. I believe that there are, I, I believe that 100% of the human population needs some sort of help when it comes to their mental wellness or substance abuse or addiction or something. None of us are perfect. We all need a little bit of help. And one of the things, the, the main thing that keeps us from getting that help is this fear, this feeling that if I ask for help, I look weak. It's a, it's a mechanism we've developed and evolved over thousands or millions of years. It's a survival mm -hmm. technique. And we, now that we've built these societies and all this technology around us, we don't have to worry that if we walk outside, a lion is going to eat us. No. So we need to reprogram that part of our brain to not drive us to need these things that we don't need. Yeah. And so my, so my, my investment thesis is all centered around, around that. And it's centered on this idea that basically there's this you know, problem that people have these problems. Stigma has kept them from getting help. Stigma is reducing. And because that is systemically changing, the demand is, is drastically changing for solutions of which there are not enough. There will never be enough. There'll never be enough psychiatrists and psychologists to treat the people who need help if stigma is fully reduced. Amen. But let me, let me throw in one more thing before we wrap, which is if you do quit alcohol or whatever else is, is keeping you down and you don't want to talk about it, that's fine too. Yeah. Right. Your personal recovery comes first. If you, even if you wanted to talk about it, Ed couldn't because of your job, that's fine too. I love you. You don't have to be public about it. You don't have to be loud about it. I get to do those things because, because of the way my life has gone and it's a, it's a blessing and it's a privilege and I respect that. So don't think that just because we're saying like, you know, be public, try to help that you have to, if you can't, you can't, we love you no matter what, 100%. But, um, if you can, you know, maybe give it a try. I really appreciate you coming here and having this conversation with me. This is honestly, I'm sitting here thinking this is one of those conversations. Do you ever have these where you have a call with someone or you have a meeting and you think, man, I wish I could have recorded that because that would have helped a lot of people. <laughs> this is that conversation. I am really fired up to get to share this with people. This has been great. I'm fired up too, man. I, I just thank you for doing the show. Thank you for investing in yourself and taking care of yourself now so you can do this. And I, I'm so excited that between us, we have almost five years, I think, which is a half decade. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I was getting through about a bottle a day, bottle of whiskey a day. Uh, so that's about a bajillion bottles I haven't drank, a bajillion bottles you haven't drank. So between the two of us, Jim Beam must be suffering. But uh, I'm proud of us. We need a short... Just short the sin stocks. We'll be, we'll be good. Now with all this White Claw business, yeah. by the way, how dare White Claw come out after I quit drinking? Like that's just, <laughs> that's, that's a, that makes me mad. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, that's funny. Well, man, I really appreciate this. How can people get a hold of you? Um, I always joke with, with my wife that, that you are one of the cool kids that has a Twitter handle that's at your first name and that like you must have had to do something to get that. And I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, yeah. So my Twitter name is just at Alex. So if you send me a tweet, I'll happily follow you. It's a beacon DM. I have an email address in my, um, my Twitter uh, bio, which is changing. Uh, today is my last day of my current job. Uh, so I'm going to be swapping that email address out by the time I think this will be live. So just um, 
twitter.com slash Alex. Uh, look at the bio section. And that's an email address there um, or DM me, whoever you are. I, I'd love to jump on the phone and just say hi. But uh, to answer your question, I bought uh, my Twitter handle off a guy in uh, Mexico, I think back in 2009. Um, oh, wow. That's a different story though. We should probably uh, not go down that particular avenue. Yeah, that sounds like one of my old stories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Look, I really appreciate this. Thank you for doing this. I will link your you know, Twitter profile and the, your contact stuff, your public contact stuff uh, in the in the show notes. So, man, I really appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. So another big thanks to Alex for being here today. Thank you for sharing, for being open with us and for that conversation. Uh, it was really helpful to me. I think it'll be helpful to others. To our listeners, thank you for being here. Really grateful to have you be a part of our community. We'd love to hear any feedback you have for us. You can connect with us on Twitter. You can connect with us uh, on our website, which is stigmapodcast.com. The Twitter is stigmacast. Uh, We would love to hear from you. And if you would give us a like or some love or a share or whatever, that'd be great too. And we look forward to connecting with you next time. Thank you.